Well, good morning. And uh, good to be with you guys again. Um, we didn't have an opportunity to do a sound check, so we're kind of doing it on the fly here. You guys are good? All right. It's just wonderful to be with you, my wife and I always, and I always tell you guys, this is our home away from home. And so um, Pastor Tim and Sarah, they're always so gracious and loving. And so as he mentioned, my wife Jiba is with me. I made a lot of poor choices in my life. That was not one of them. <laughs> That's probably the best decision I've made as an adult. And so I'm really thankful for her be, making the journey with me. Hey, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to use as a title, Strong in Grace. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to be gathered together to celebrate the gift of salvation and the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we've worshipped you with our words, with our singing, and now, Lord, as we open up the scriptures and purpose to worship you through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. We pray that you would be glorified and minister grace to the hearers. Lord, I ask you to use me for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, years ago, I was in the gym with my father. My father has uh, neurological issues. He's been diagnosed uh, bipolar, schizophrenic, and he usually pretty much stays baseline and is 95% functional if he stays on his meds. But from time to time, he'll either through a very emotionally high event or an emotionally low event or for the lack of sleep, he'll have a manic episode and it takes him a bit to bounce back. And so it was during one of these times where he was bouncing back, I was trying to establish some normalcy and I took him to the gym. And so I set him on the treadmill next to me and I just set it on a very easy, comfortable pace where he could walk and I went to work on my treadmill. I really enjoy running. I can't do it as much as I used to because my 53-year-old knees are just not the same as they used to be. And so I am one of those people that I go for it and I'll start on four and every five minutes I'll increase it to five. And so I'm going faster. And I did not notice that as I started to increase the speed, so did my father. <laughs> and so I'm really going for it. I have some music in my ears. And so <laughs> I noticed on the treadmill next to me that my father is down on the floor. His knees are bouncing off the belt. And he's trying to pull himself off. And the lady who's on the treadmill next door, next to my father, looks at my father and says, are you all right? And I can hear Max Kellerman in the back of my mind saying, is this a real question? <laughs> and so we, I stopped the treadmill and helped my father up. His knees were a little bit scuffed up. Thank God he was okay. And I said, dad, he said, I told him, why didn't you just let go? of the treadmill, he said, I kept trying to pull myself up. 
And part of what grace does in our lives is in the midst of us struggling and going through the challenges that life affords us is that grace helps us to pull ourselves up so that we don't scuff our knees on the treadmill. And Paul starts this chapter by saying to his protege Timothy, you therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here Timothy is instructed to be strong but not in his own strength, not in his own wisdom. He is to be strong in the grace. But what is grace? And how does that apply here? Because we often hear people use that word. Uh, we'll hear the word grace if we're watching a, a dog competition and the dog is strutting his stuff in the, on the runway. He says, oh, he moves so gracefully. We also hear that when uh, we meet someone uh, who, uh, to, to people, and, and because he uses words uh, in a way that are very inviting and, and non-threatening and encouraging, and we say, oh, he's so graceful. Or perhaps when we are asking someone to give beyond what they are expecting to give, we say, would you be gracious? Or if someone offends us and we pass off, pass over the offense, then they say to us, thank you for being gracious. Some have defined the word grace as unmerited favor. And I'm okay with that definition because grace does bring unmerited favor. However, the word grace in this passage is the Greek word haris. And it literally means, and I'm going to repeat this twice in case you want to write it down, God's generous influence by which he saves us, keeps us, strengthens us, and helps us grow as believers. God's generous influence by which he saves us, keeps us, strengthens us, and helps us grow as believers. And in this passage, it is a direct reference to God's strength. It's God's ability to meet us at the point of our need. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved. This, through faith, this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So uh, the grace of God comes into our lives to save us. Oh, I have to ask you this morning, are you saved? Have you come to a place in your life where you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior? Because the Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath because God is a holy God. And we of our own volition can't meet his righteous requirements that we all fall short 
of the glory of God. And therefore, God in his grace and in his mercy sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he was buried and placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again bodily to authenticate the claim that he was God and to give us the hope of eternal life. And now, when we repent of our sins, we receive Christ and we believe the gospel, the substitutionary death, the the atonement of Christ. The Bible says we are saved and the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives. Have you done that? Have you received Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you experienced God's amazing, saving grace? Or if I were to ask you, tell me a little bit about how and when you got saved, your reply to me would be, I've been in church all my life. I'm going to give you a newsflash that might shock you. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Just because your parents raised you in a Christian home, that doesn't make you a Christian. Just because your parents drug you to church every day, that doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you agree with the core facts of the gospel and can spit them back to me and intellectualize them, that doesn't make you a Christian. We have to repent of our sins, receive Christ, believe the gospel. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. Amen. I'm passionate about the gospel because I know many people that go to church most of their adult life and they're really not saved. One of the most terrifying passages and sobering passages is found in Matthew chapter 7 verses 22, 22. It says, many will say in, in, in that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many cures in your day? Did we not do miracles in your name? And I will declare unto you, to them, Depart from me. I never know you. These people were engaged in religious activities. They even operated in some measure of spiritual gifting. Only to one day meet our Savior face to face and him say, I don't know you, bro. The grace of God saves us. What I love about this grace is not only does it saves us, but it transforms us. Timothy chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldliness, and so causing us to live soberly and righteously in this present age. So the same grace that saves us is the same grace that sanctifies us. And the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, once said, and I quote, The saints shall persevere in holiness because God perseveres in grace. However, this text that we're reading today from Timothy speaks of the grace of God empowering us. It speaks of God's ability meeting us at the point of our need. And now we can understand why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, God says to him, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in your 
weakness. Therefore, as we work our way through this text today, we're going to see that three illustrations are given to Pastor Timothy. The illustration of the soldier, the illustration of the athlete, and the illustration of the farmer. And the main idea, here's the big so what, the main idea is that the grace of God works in every one of those professions. The grace of God works in every sphere of life. And this brings us to verse number two where we read, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Paul is speaking to his mentee, who is a younger pastor, and is talking to him about discipleship. And here's my first point. The grace of God gives determination to the pastor or to the person in ministry. He says, the things that I've committed to you, commit these also to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. There is a prioritization A priority, my Puerto Rican tongue got me there. There is a priority placed on discipleship. We need God's grace to help us disciple other people. We need God's grace to help us stay focused on our own spiritual development. There is an emphasis on discipleship. And in order to do that, we need God's grace. Are you focused on your own discipleship? One of the ways that you know that God's grace is working on your life, is there something in your heart that says, I need to grow? I need to read more. I need to be more like Christ. I'm struggling and I got these issues, but but I need more. And and it's the grace of God that gives us determination to want to move forward. Do you have a mentor? If you need a mentor, come see Pastor Tim or Pastor uh, Randy back there. Is it Pastor Randy? Did I get Trevor? Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Pastor Randy's dead. My apologies. Anyway, so if you need a mentor, come see one of these men. I just increased your workload by double. (laughs) Come see one of the elders. Come see one of the leaders. Don't struggle by get in a small group. Are you in a small group? When they restart up small groups, are you focused on your discipleship? It's wonderful that you come to church. We're glad that you come here every Sunday. But now it's the next step. Get serious about discipleship. Get serious about growing. That happens as you are involved in community. The Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to grow in grace and we are to grow in knowledge. And then as we progress in verse number 3, Paul says, You therefore must endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ in the affairs of this life, that he might please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, a person who is engaged in war cannot be distracted by the things of this world. Which brings us to our second point. The grace of God gives focus to the soldier. 
And here the Christian life and Christian service is directly compared to a soldier in warfare. My brothers and sisters, we ought to be not be distracted by the cares of this world. We are in a war. Are you taking on the armor of God? Are you using the weapons of your warfare? Are you being watchful? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, if not against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness of this world. We are in a warfare. And the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. But they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. In this verse, in verse 5, we are introduced to the athlete in the next verse. After he talks to us about the soldier and he talks to us about warfare and the importance of us not being distracted about warfare and being watchful and paying attention, he introduces us to the athlete also. Let me say one more thing about warfare. There are two, often two sides that people take when it comes to spiritual warfare. One on the left is, well, I won't bother the devil because he doesn't bother me. The other one, they swing all the way, all the way to the right and there's a demon under every rock. And you're casting out the spirit of flu, and you're casting out the spirit of traffic, and you can't, they're, 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 I mean, everything is a demon, everything is a devil. There's a healthy tension there where there's a normalcy in life where we live in a fallen world and there is a real enemy that we need to be watchful, be sober, be vigilant. And at the same time, we don't swing all the way to the other side trying to rebuke the light bulb. And so... And so he, one of the things that we have to understand about warfare is that the enemy is crafty. And that he is after us. Whether we ignore him or we, he's after us. If you bear the name of Christ, if you are linked to someone who bears the name of Christ, he hates you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he often does it through cunning and many other devices. And so we need to be watchful, brothers and sisters. And again, in verse 5, he talks about the athlete. He says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Which brings us to point number three. The grace of God gives discipline to the athlete. Paul is saying that the athlete needs to know the rules of his sport. He needs to be disciplined at his sport to win the competition. And here the Christian life is compared to an athletic competition. Uh, in the Olympics in Barcelona in 1992, uh, the 400-meter uh, semifinal, there was a gentleman named Derek Renman. He was uh, British. And so th as the race started, he started out fast with all the other runners. Somewhere within the first 100 yards, he suffered a tremendous injury in one of his legs. 
so, so much so that he fell on the floor and he was uh, in great pain. You can see it in his face. So he gets up and he starts hobbling because he wants to finish the race. And he continues to go another 100 meters and you can tell at this point that sweat is pouring down his face, tears, and he is almost about to collapse from the pain and the exhaustion. And his father runs out of the stands and picks him up and he tells him, son, it's going to be all right. We're going to make it to the finish line. And someone came out of the stand to get him to sit down. And perhaps it was the doctor and says, but the father fend him off. Said, we got this. <laughs> and I don't know what you're going through today, but that's what your father is saying. We got this. Amen. And when you are struggling and when you are injured, in the same way that that father came out of the stands, your father comes out of the stand with God's grace. <laughs> and he picks you up and he helps you finish the race. Because God's grace gives us the discipline. It gives us the motivation. It gives us the focus that we need. In the same way that an athlete needs God's grace to help him train, so we as Christians need God's grace to help us. You, one of the things that you see in athletes, when you see the boxers, some of the top boxers that I've seen interviewed online, one of the things they say, they live like Spartans. They eat, sleep, and drink like they're always training for a fight. They wash their diet, they get up early in the morning, they run, they sleep, they rest, they recover. They, they, they live for fighting. Basketball players, the best basketball players, guys that, that we all cheer for and win championships, usually they're up four or five o'clock in the morning working out. When it comes time for practice, they are there an hour before the entire team. And after practice and done are done, they are there another hour after the team leaves, which gives them the discipline to be the top of their sport. Many of the struggles that we struggle with personally come down to a lack of discipline. Amen. Amen. Oftentimes when I am counseling someone, one of the questions that I ask them is, how's your prayer life? Have you been reading your Bible? Are you meditating on scripture? Are you in community? Well, I'm really not praying like I should. Or, you know, I, I, I just don't have time. I'm so busy. So most of the time, I'm praying on the go. I'm constantly talking to God. And I'm glad that you do that. Because the Bible says pray without ceasing. It's the only way that we can pray without ceasing. But to those of you who are doing that and I'm making, you're living on vitamins, man. Vit we call vitamins supplements. So you take vitamins to supplement the stuff that you don't get in your meal. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 6, when you pray, when time, go into your closet, shut the door, place, and pray to your father in secret, and your father which sees you in secret will reward you openly. So prayer, according to Jesus, has a place, and prayer has a time. And then when you pray 
on the go or pray without ceasing. It's just out of the overflow of your devotional life or your personal time with God. That is the main course. That is the meal. Praying on the go are the vitamins, which is why I said some of y'all are living on vitamins. You can survive, but you won't be very healthy. So it takes discipline. Nine times out of ten, if I can get people to praying and reading their scriptures faithfully and meditating, disappear. Because a lot of the struggles that we have is that we don't access these means of grace that are provided to us in the scripture. We need to ask God to help us be disciplined in our prayer life. Our flesh won't naturally want to pray. Let me ask you this. Some, some of you are married here and will get this. You know, my, my wife and I, we had a great relationship and we text a lot. And we talked on the phone a lot and we were always talking on the go. But how many of you know that if we just were talking via text and just were talking on the go, we wouldn't be married today? And all the married people said, Amen. Oh, no, we had to go on some dates. I had to hold her hands and look at her in the eyes and have the full Jiva experience. And we were devoted to one another and we developed a relationship. And we're married and we have children. But that wouldn't happen if it's like, every time we're on the work, hey, I'm on my way to work, I've slept well, like, shoo, a text. Right. Or sneak a text or a phone call, like, how you doing? And I enjoyed the conversation via phone. I was like, I'm so looking forward to our conversation tonight. And never have face-to-face -face time. Never have intentional cultivating of the relation of cult, uh, intentional devotion toward one another face to face. If that is true when it comes to a marriage, how much more is that true to with our relationship with God? Amen. Amen. Some of us are just living on shooting God texts from time to time. I'm going to get off my soapbox. Okay? I'm done. I'm done. And we need God. We need God to help us. Listen, I'll, I'll say this and I'll move on to my next point. We need to make our prayer life a matter of prayer. I would encourage you, get two or three people. If your prayer life is weak, would you pray about my prayer life? Listen, you should have people praying that your prayer life would be strong. You should have your spouse praying. You should pray over your prayer life that God will continue to increase you and bless you. One of the things that he will fight the most is against your prayer life. Listen, we all get the, get the same 24 hours. We're all busy. You, listen, I love you. We make time for the things that are important to us. If your relationship with Christ is important to you, is prayer important to you, make time for the Lord. Put him on your calendar. Put him on a reminder. Put him on your phone. It doesn't matter how you do it. Like the Nike commercial says, just do it. And we need, we need the grace of God. In Psalm 133 verse 25, it says, my soul clings to the, the 
quicken me according to your word. And we need God to quicken us because we won't naturally want to do us, which is why we need people to pray. We need God's grace to help us. The grace that we seek is often also contained in the scriptures. Staying in God's word. And maybe that's the way, that's a good place for you to start just reading the Bible. Open the word of God every day. The Bible says this in the book of Acts. When, when Paul is giving his farewell to the elders in the church in Ephesus, he says, and now I commend you to God. Listen to this phrase. And the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst that are sanctified. When you are reading the Bible, you should grab the word of God in the morning or at night and say to yourself, this is the word of God, and it's full of God's grace. And when you read, whether you, something sticks to your memory or whether you understand it, it's God's word. It's full of grace. And the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance the things that Jesus has said. Read the word of God. It is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. Community is a means of grace. And finally, let's read verse number six where it says, The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of his crops. And this brings us to point number four. God gives grace, grace gives diligence and dedication to the farmer. Grace gives diligence and dedication to the farmer. Here, both ministry and the walk of the believer is compared to farming. The farmer partakes of his crops first because he works hard. And if he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. In the same way that the farmer works diligently and partakes of the fruit of his labor, so must we be diligent and devoted to our relationship with Christ. And this is not the first time that Paul uses farming as an illustration. He does also in Galatians chapter 6, he said, where he says, Do not be deceived. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow for the flesh, out of the flesh you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, out of the Spirit you will reap life. You have to ask yourself the question, what am I sowing into my life? Am I sowing for the spirit? Am I sowing for the flesh or am I sowing other things? We must be diligent like the farmer to sow into our lives. We must feast on Christ through the means of grace. Uh, there is a verse of scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. If You can turn there with me. If not, I'll, I'll read it for you. It's a really interesting verse of scripture that talks about this very issue of diligence. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, But also, for this very reason... Giving all diligence. I want, I want to read that again. But also, for this very reason, giving all 
diligence to add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge. And if you keep reading down, he uses the word giving the more diligence later on in the verse. And so it is something that we as uh, children of God need God's grace to help us to be diligent to add or to build our faith. And to be honest, many of the things that get in the way of our diligence and devotion can quench it. A lot of the things that that steal our passion from the Lord, from being diligent, are not necessarily sinful, but they still are our diligence. They still are passion. They still are want to. And this is why we need God's grace working in our lives. And in verse 7, as Paul closes this section, he says, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. He's taken them through this. He starts in verse 1 by saying, Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. He's speaking to his protege, his pastor, son in the faith. And he gives them the illustration of the soldier of the athlete and the farmer and how all how grace functions in every facet of their lives and functions in every profession and he says consider what i say and the lord give you understanding in all things he's not only teaching timothy that grace that the grace of god can help him in various ways He is also also teaching him that the grace of God works at all facets of our lives. I like to say it this way. The Lord gives you grace for the life that he gives you. I have grace for my life. For the married, to the married folks, the Lord writes this, husbands, Dwell with your wives according to knowledge and being heirs together of the grace of life. There is a grace that God gives the husband and the, and the wife to live together. It's the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's the enabling grace that empowers us. Listen, we need grace. We need grace for our marriages. We need grace to raise our children. We need grace to let our light shine before men. We need grace to be good church members. We need grace to be more patient. We need grace for our prayer lives. We need the grace of God. Because the grace of God saves you. The grace of God changes you. The grace of God empowers you. And like the psalmist said, the grace of God will lead you on. We need the grace of God. And therefore Paul tells his protege, be strong, not in your own will. Not in your own wisdom, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me give you some easy ways, and you can write this down, and I will bring this to a close. Here are some practical ways that you can access grace. Number one, recognize your weakness. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Ask for it. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Come boldly to the throne of grace 
that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Just ask for it. Recognize that you're weak, that you're broken, that you're sinful, that you need God's help. Ask for it. And then three, believe that God will give it to you. Romans 5.2 says we have access into this grace through faith. When you ask God for grace, trust with all your heart that he will give it to you. Walk in humility. If you are a person that struggles with pride, purpose in your heart that you're going to grow in humility. Ask God to help you in humility. Listen, for those of you men, those of you who are married, I'm going to give you a phrase that is going to revolutionize your marriage. You ready for it? I was wrong. You're right. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong. Sometimes the things that we fight about, the things that we are in disagreement, are more our preference in us wanting to win an argument rather than a heel we need to die on. You have to decide, my brothers, whether you care about more about winning the argument, you care more about being right, you care more about hearing yourself talk, or you care more about your wife. You're right, honey. I'm wrong. Listen, if some of you, you just came to church just to hear that. <laughs> and, and ladies... I can say that. Not you. But Pastor Tito said, no. God sent me all the way from Newport News so I can say it. It was said. You just pray and you smile at him. And from time to time, not all the time, lady. We we know that y'all are right most of the time. We, we, We get that. But from time to time, you can also say, I was wrong. I know, blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. I I get it, I get it. You're right, honey. He will look at you in shock. Can I get my camera and record this? Walk in humility. James 4, he gives grace to the humble. And number five, purpose that you are going to grow in grace. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can't do this thing called Christianity. We can't do ministry. We can't do our professions. We can't do parenting. We can't do husband, wife. We can't do anything. Separate it from him. John 15, we can do nothing. Acts 17, it is in him that we live and move and have our being. Psalm 127, except the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain that build it. When we've done everything that we can, we are but unprofitable servants. Recognize how dependent you are on the grace of God. I depend on God's grace every day of my life and we need him and if we start at that place and wake up every day under the open heaven 
of God's grace and purpose to grow in it and access it. We will be much the better for it. And more than anything, we will bring glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I, is, the, is the worship team coming back up? How are we doing this, Pastor? Okay. Let me put, would you stand to your feet with me? Let's pray. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna eat some chicken and we're going to have some good fellowship. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you today. And if you're here today and you have been struggling because maybe as I've been preaching, you've recognized as you, wait a minute. I've been trying to do this thing in my own strength. I've been pushing and going and going and not realizing I need to have God in the driver's seat. i like to pray for you. So would you bow your heads with me and say, listen, Pastor Tito, as you, as you preach today, I recognize I'm not sure that if I were to die today, I would go to heaven and not hell. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or anything like that. I just want to pray for you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. And for, for those of you who are in here and say, Pastor Tito, as you were preaching today, I realize I need to involve God's grace more in my life. Would you raise your hands right where you are? God bless you. Hands all over the place. God bless you. Put your hands down. Can we all pray this prayer together? Say, God, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you send your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And he rose again. And now I repent of my sins. I confess Jesus as Lord. Fill me with your spirit. I trust you in Jesus' name. Father, I want to pray for all those who raise their hands because they recognize that they need infusion of your grace and they need to be purposeful and intentional about asking you to move in their lives, Lord, in their sphere of responsibilities and their spheres of influence. I just ask you, Lord, that this would be a moment where God, it revolutionizes their walk as they begin to, Lord, grow in grace. That, Lord, you would bless them and fill them and touch them that they might have grace-filled prayer lives, grace-filled study times, grace-filled marriages and homes, grace-filled professions, grace-filled ministries, Lord yes. God, yes. so that you might get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.